Pathway to Promise podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, episode number 103, with the author of Pinpoints of Light Escaping the Abyss of, of Abuse, April Tribe Juke. I'm Bill McConnell from BillMcConnell.me, author of Conquer What's Next. Thank you for listening to the Pathways to Promise podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, living your life with peace, prosperity, and purpose. You're on the Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes every person has a God-given, promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose, and that you must have a plan and a guide to get there. The Pathway to Promise podcast not only is your guide through the wilderness of depression and disappointment that stand between you and your promised life, but also brings you insights and direction from inspiring, successful thought leaders who have transformed their lives. Welcome to the Pathway to Promise. Now, here's Brad. Hello, good people. Welcome to Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller, where we are here to help you overcome adversity to achieve your promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. And today, we're going to be delving into a difficult matter. We're going to be talking about abuse, abuse in relationships and how you can overcome that, how you can come out to a better place. We're going to be talking to author April Tribe Juke today. She's the author of Pinpoints of Light, Escaping the Abyss of Abuse, and she has quite a story to tell. But first, I did want to remind you that at the Pathway to Promise, you can always go to our website, pathwaypromise.com, pick up back episodes of the podcast with great authors, great leaders, great teachers to speak into your life, teaching that I give to you as well. We have a free resource for you there. It's all about you. It's all about helping you deal with adversity, be it depression or death in a family or de- or a, a debt issue, or perhaps you get a diagnosis of a disease or maybe a divorce in the family. Whatever it is, you can overcome it. We are here to help, and we bring to you great resources like our author today, April Tribe Juke. April is an incredible author and leader. She has a quite a story to tell. She is all about helping you to find and fuel and empower your light in your life. And she calls this tapping into your life, the light of the world. By tapping, she means to use your trauma, the T, use the abuse, the A, and your pain story to tell your story in order to become a beacon of light to other people. She does that, did that in her own life by escaping her own abusive relationship, by being the parent of nine children, including several who are, have special needs, and escaping an abusive situation which involved mental illness and some really, really dark places where she had to find, as she calls them, her pinpoints of light. She's going to tell you all about it. Our special guest today on the Pathway to Promise, author April Tribe Juke. Hello. Thank you so much, Dr. Miller, for inviting me here today. Awesome. April, it is awesome to have you here today. You have quite a fascinating story. We're going to get into your book here in just a little bit. But what we like to talk about here on the Pathway to Promise is people who have found a way to deal with adversity, to deal with the circumstances that happen in life. I know you've had your share of challenges, your share of adversity, and I just, if you don't mind, I'd just like to share your story a little bit. Some of the things that you've challenged, you've faced, and then we'll use it as a foundation of what we can teach others. All right, you bet. So 
let's start at a place where um, it's probably a good mark in, in our lives, right? We have times through our lives that we're always going to be learning. This is definitely, our life is definitely a place to come and to learn. And it's to learn who we're going to follow, how we're going to return home to our Heavenly Father. Now, in my life, just like anyone else's life, it's never going to be free of trials, adversity, um, events that are possibly traumatic, things like that. So in my life growing up, um, had a loving family. I'm one of five children, going to church, believing in God, understanding how Christ can work in our lives. And at the same time, there is opposition in all things, right? So just as strong as your faith is going to be, well, it's going to be tested as equally as strong, if that makes sense. Of course. Myself, I came across these tests just as life presents them and started to hear what I call my shame shadow. That's that little voice of doubt and all of those things that really try to pull you down. Um, some people call it the voice of the destroyer, those kinds of things. Well, I call it my shame shadow and good old shamey back there. (laughs) He would constantly say one phrase to me, which is possibly slightly different than what he says to other people. He would say to me, you are too much, too much energy, too much smile, too much talent, too much this. So he took, he took a route that was completely different than I think what other people do. Some people say, I'm not enough. I'm not pretty yeah. enough. I'm not, right? They go on that route. Right. Of course. You are too much. And so, wow. I was like, I better back off. I better scale it down. I better try to hide myself and listen to other people. And that's where this persuasion started to happen, Right because he was pretty loud and in my face. And at the same time, I was a believer and strong in the gospel and loving my savior. And so I learned through that process is that he's going to be equal and opposite on both things where I have to make the choice. Am I going to face the light or am I going to keep turning towards the shame shadow that's behind me? Because if you have light that's casting in front of you, your shadow will always be back there. It's your choice if you're going to turn towards the shadow, or if you're going to turn towards the light and take the action and move forward. So there's lots of uh, things like that. So in my life, I had some ups and downs. Um, There was uh, a sexual abuse that happened with a neighbor and trying to heal and overcome a lot of those things like that on my own with just the help of scriptures and with Christ. I didn't say anything to anybody. And that led me into a place where I was doing pretty good, but not quite all the way. At, after um, high school and things like that, I decided to uh, go out and preach the word and become a missionary. Following my missionary service, uh, it was time to get married, and I knew I was going to have a family. I wanted children, and in that process, found someone who I felt had the same goals, had the same plans, had the same... Um, strength and testimony of God. And so I was like, these are great attributes. These are great characteristics and I love him. And this looks like a great match. So I always knew that the concept of trials, it wasn't going to be like happily ever after. But what I did think is that it was going to be together ever after. Hmm. That no matter what happens, we would be on that same faith track, that same idea, like we could do things together. And 
um, I've, I started to learn through the process of just how life goes and how stress is added onto um, a relationship like marriage, uh, that, that old habits that he had had started to spring back up, which became addictions to drugs and alcohol and, and to pornography. So right there, I was like, oh, well, that's a blame right there. I can blame what's happening because of an addiction. I can blame all of these problems because he's looking at pornography. I can blame, right? I figured, well, that's the problem. Okay. So we could counseling. Oh, I know we could try to do this, that, and the other. Because my mind was still stuck on, we had the same goal. We had the same beliefs. And now you're over here and I don't understand. And I was missing the point that, hey, this is the trial. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, we're supposed to be together in this trial. Not, that's not, wait a minute. So I had to do a lot of thinking and a lot of self um, awareness with, with all of that. Um, Did this have to do with you in even regards to your husband, this decision you were talking about earlier about the shame shadow and the going to the light, you were having to make those, those calculations as it were in regards to your husband and how you were relating to him decisions you were making that way. It did. But later for the longest time, for almost nine years of our marriage, I just thought, okay, I'll just keep pulling him along. Um, we'll just keep trying whatever, because I thought that that was the real problem. Again, I blamed it on this, this concept and idea of addiction that, well, if he could just solve that problem, then he'd be back. We're, we're ready to go. So you were trying to change him. Uh, tried to change him back to where he was because that's yeah. what he promised he was. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Two and a half years, that's where we thought we were going. And then, okay. Yeah. And I thought for a long time that that's what he also wanted was like, help me. I'm stuck in this addiction and I need help. And that was not the case. Okay. It was with some, because we had an added component that I didn't know until um, an event happened and I share it in the book. I don't want to do any spoilers, but we'll just say it has to do with a deep sense of mental illness that I was unaware of until this event happened. And when that happened, I knew how deep we were in it. I had just had my fourth child. We were in a mound of debt. Um, He would leave for days at a time. And it felt like everyone in the neighborhood, everyone at church, they all knew the story, but not myself. No boy. Because I didn't really want to see. And the other part is I really couldn't know because at this point I have four children. My first three have autism. Oh my goodness. I started to turn towards anything I could do to get them to communicate, to stop hitting, biting, um, headbanging. We were in severe crisis. And so looking at how we could pull them out of give them some skills, give them some communication, something. So my focus went there and I just thought he's going to have to do what he can on his own. And we did these cycles. We had five cycles in our marriage where we would do great. He would repent. He would come back to church. The addictions would stop. We would be clean and sober for four or five, six months. And things were going pretty good. And then the event, the stress, the something the spiral down would happen again. And by the time we were at the bottom, I would usually discover I was four or five months pregnant. 
<laughs> Which is kind of, you know, you had to not only the spiral interpersonally, but my goodness, you had the, all the physical stuff with being pregnant and raising children and autism. I, it, you're, you're, you're describing a situation, which is, wow, that is just blows my mind in a way. It really does. It, yeah. It, people will ask, how did you get through it? And I just know it was through the faith of God just supporting me to get me to every single day that I needed to go through. Now, laced in all of this was abuse in the most emotional, spiritual, um, financial, as well as physical way possible. And these encounters, and as I would spiral down and then try to rebound again and try to pull him back up with me, it just never would raise back to the top level. It was like, down, and then as you would come up, it could never reach that top again. And then we'd fall down and then come back up. But it would be at a lower level than it was the first two times. And so on and so forth. And I say five cycles because I have five children. So it kind of went in that cycle pattern. And by the fifth one, I was like, hang on. You finally started to get it. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it it was tough. It was tough for my family who were just the ultimate supporters. They stayed with me. And through this discovery of writing my book, and sharing the story, I learned what the ultimate supporter is. I learned what the true gift of having an unconditional love is. They did not yell at me. They did not judge me out loud, at least to my ears. Now, they might have gone to the neighbor and said, I can't believe this, but (laughs) they never said those things. They were with me, with me, with me. And I can't tell you, if they had abandoned me, I don't know if I would have been able to I really don't yeah. know. I know that. At the crucial times and when I was ready, I knew I had support. And so when I could finally leave, I knew they would be there with me. They were probably high-fiving in the background and like cheering and whooping it sure. up. Sure. Well, you, you, you describe <laughs> what you're describing there is a little bit what I know you talk about a little bit in your, in your writing. So I'm being a victim, advocate, or a supporter and helping try to kind of define and understand those, those roles. So what did you, what kind of things did you learn April out of all this convoluted, painful experience, not only with your husband and your kids and these folks in your life, what are you learning there now that you're able to share with others to help them to deal with these similar circumstances? So I, I have an approach that goes into two, two types of classes or two types of people. So I have a full supportive group that I and I help where our victims to become victors. We, my, my focus is for them to find what their light is. I believe that all of us are blessed with the light of God in, in us and that through our events, we slowly, and our choices, we dim out that light. So I help them to rediscover that light and then start to fuel it and amplify it. And that's one piece that we work on. Another piece I work on and is all for the family members, the friends, and the coworkers. Those are the people who know that their friend or their family member is in abuse, and yet they feel like their hands are tied. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They feel like, if what if I say the wrong things? Um, some of them might feel, this is really sticky. I, I don't know what to do, but I can't just leave them here. So what I teach that group, which I call my ultimate supporters, the the supporters to help them to narrow their gap, that supporters gap that they have, where they have mm-hmm. the 
person, but they don't know, they don't have the tools to know what right. to because some of them start to assume this superhero, like, okay, well, I'll just go in and save the day. Okay. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Yeah. There's only one person who can save, and that is Christ. Sure. Your job is to be with them, to sit with them, to hear them, and to not take on that emotion and the grief and the because you might have a time I know I did this I just was ranting about everything 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 and I could see my sister listening and listening and she just listened she didn't comment back and forth because at the end I said but I still love him hmm. and if okay. she said yeah yeah and and you should leave and if she would have done all of that and then I put this twist at the end mm-hmm. break of course yeah, you could have been uh, impacting your relationship with your sister as well. And so you sound like you've learned some profound things and you've got some systems here that you've put together to be helpful to people in these various roles, which I think is a, a powerful tool, really. I just think it's a needed tool. And the, I just know that the, uh, you know, as a pastor of church, I've done certainly done my share of counseling and therapy and whatnot, you know, with folks in challenging marriages and other things as well. And so often, you know, we, and I'll just say it, you know, in some of my somewhat lame way, I will share with people, if you want to be helpful, just be a good listener. Well, that's a piece of it, of course. But what you're helping us do is get some more, more tools here to, to involve the, with this. Where do the kids come into the, all, the play in all this? Where does the family dynamic come into play? And you mentioned this very, this very you know, particular situation of autistic children. And you, I know a part of what you teach and lead is about parenting and leadership. So tell me, unpack that a little bit for me, how you related to that and then what you can teach other folks as well about parenting. You bet. So what I focus in on parenting is I believe I'm a big believer in empowering somebody with skills because for the most part, we want to be able to help and we need to do something in order to, to be that help. So with parenting skills, especially with anyone with special needs, what I teach the parents is that they have that light within them that empowers them to truly be the expert on their own kid. So many times when parents are given, um, you know, the, the label, the diagnosis of whatever it is, there is definitely grief that happens through that. And all of that can be acknowledged. But at the same time, we kind of say, well, I'm not the expert. I don't know what to do. And we hand off the kid back to the school system, to therapies, to whatever. Now I'm saying all of that has a place. But sometimes we don't trust ourselves to be mm-hmm. able to be the ones to say, wait a minute, I am a part of this team too. My voice, I know my kid the best. Sure. I'm leading this team effort and knowing what to do with, you know, all the therapies, with school, with accommodations, with IEPs, with all of that. So I teach them one way to do that. And I do almost everything for the power of books. Mm. And I love, 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 love this part about being a parent. All parents can read stories to their kids, right? Of course. You go to the library, grab a book, and read it with your kid. That does not add anything extra to your day, right? Sometimes when we start into this project of like, okay, I'm going to take the parenting course and we're going to learn all these skills and it's going to add, add, add to my day. Mm-hmm. Right. I got nine kids. I don't want anything added. To <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to be reading to my kids at least nightly. Yeah. We grab books and through the power of the book, 
whatever the story is, we can explain social skills. We can explain where they might be missing some of the connections that happen. Now, I use a lot of that because in autism, the social skills and the language are the two biggest barriers when we are talking about anyone being on the autism spectrum. So I love to get books like anything written by Mark Brown, the author series, um, the uh, Berenstain Bears, whatever, anything like that. And we sit down that because a lot of those books have those morals kind of already laced in them. Mm-hmm. But you can have any book. Like, for example, there's a book called um, I Am Walking. And mm-hmm. it's a very simple book. I am walking to the house. I am walking with the duck. I am walking with the dog. It's not about the words. We're looking at the pictures. Yes. What we're noticing and identifying is, hey, look, look, uh, what's happening there? Are they happy? Are they sad? And we're showing that through the parent, through reading the book and just asking a few questions, oh my gosh, I'm actually teaching yeah. these concepts. What, what I'm hearing you're saying is it's so important to remain engaged, even when the temptation is to disengage or to abdicate some responsibility, or just kind of throw up your hands, you know, what am I, what's going on here? And to, it's sound like you're teaching kind of strategies that hopefully don't add too much more onto people in the course of what you're doing to make sure you are intentionally engaged. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say here. And I think that's kind of the theme of everything you're involved with is don't disengage, but to engage. You, know, you were talking about really some denial and other things like that in your, in your marriage and about how you need to be engaged spiritually and emotionally in your loving relationships, certainly in your things like your health and your vitality and also things like your personal disciplines and your cognitive powers. So that comes to me, that's, that's, you're talking like a teacher now. I come from a family of teachers. I'm a teacher and preacher myself. I have, have a uh, sister who's a special needs uh, teacher and my mother and father are teachers. How's this going to this world of, uh, of teaching? You're cause you work in a school, I understand. And how can, that's kind of the other side of the equation, you know, this parenting thing, you got the parenting thing, but we're talking about human development now. So how, what do you say to teachers? How do you speak to those folks? Oh, my favorite. So when I go around the country and I speak about social emotional learning for all, it's this whole entire entire concept that all are worthy of learning, all. And so how do we get that child to engage with us? What do we do? Very, very first thing, like the best teacher in one of the best books I love to read all the time, right? He says, hold your little ones. He is saying, bring them to me. Mm-hmm. For all of us, we need to be engaged and build a relationship with the kids. Not dismiss them, not excuse them, not put them over here, or put them on a task that is, you know, that something else can engage them in. It's you. The more you invest in your students, the more they will invest back. They will they will buy in. A hundred percent they'll buy in. And when they have bought in, the world is at your hands. So when we build the relationship, so many times when I enter into a classroom or I'm, you know, speaking at a large conference with a lot of people, usually prior to the conference, they will say, or prior to speaking, they will say, I have little Johnny and they give me the list of negativity and all of the struggles and troubles. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end, they generally come back and say, I know what to do. I was not, I didn't, I didn't love him. Oh my gosh. It, it didn't matter about all of these things I just listed. I don't think I like him. Hmm. I need to learn how to like him. And I'm like, that's your foundation. There, there you go. 
how to love and how to like them, suddenly it, every strategy in the world can suddenly work. But if you are not going to build a relationship with someone, and if you're just going to tolerate and dismiss, my, my, my least favorite word in the education setting is the word deal. I have to deal with these kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Heard that many times. Got to cope. Got to deal. Got to f- get through the day and that kind of stuff, right? Just yeah, you people ask and say, what is their favorite color? Uh, what's their favorite thing to eat? Uh, what's their mom's name? What is their best friend's name? Like, what do they know about? Yes. Know about them, not about the actions and the behavior. They can lift that the day comes down. They've got every data point on them. Sure. How do you know about them as a person? That building that relationship, yeah. And when they say they don't communicate, they don't do this, they don't do that. And when we break it down, we usually can see that they have been talking and communicating the entire time. And that's with my first three boys. My first one, jab, 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 talk, 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 talk. He sounded like an encyclopedia. My second one, not My third spoke every once in a while, but he was all about big action, like climb the tree, jump out onto the trampoline type of thing. And I could list all of those things. And finally, a good friend of mine said, what does he love? And I was like, Hard yeah. and uh, I sobbed my eyes out thinking, and it was a huge shift for me. And when I started to, read in the scriptures, you know, yeah, well, some awesome, awesome stuff here, April. And we've talked a lot about you know your kind of family dynamic thing at first. We talked about parenting, we've talked about teachers. I want to talk about you for a second, or I want you to talk about yourself in this regard. You couldn't do all this stuff that you're sharing, all this incredible input to others, unless you're being fed yourself. So what are some of the habits? What are the, some of the processes, the things that you do, the, the self-disciplines, if you will, that help you to function? Uh, you have between, you, did you say you have nine children altogether, right? Nine children, five from my first marriage. And then when I got remarried, I remarried a bachelor who had never been married, no other children. I mean. So there you go, huh? And boom, we had four more. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, there's a lot of folks who just want to know, what what are some of the things that you do to make your life work? To make my life work, I do three things. First of all, I pray and read. Second is music. Music is my absolute foundation to understanding how I can process my own emotions, how I can connect to someone else's emotions. And my range of music is probably narrow. And it's that way on purpose because I have to feed my light. I can't go into these other types of music for very long because it, I feel my light them. Music has been my soul saving. The third is I have to move. That means walking, sometimes running, sometimes yoga, sometimes whatever, but I have to move my body. When I move, I think. When I stand, I can understand. I can process. It's probably growing up the way I did, um, cheerleading, tumbling, swimming, diving, all that stuff. Tons and tons and tons of action all the time. So I have to read and pray, music, 
move. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's just kind of bring it all back around to, to come to a conclusion here, or at least bring it back around by helping people understand your book, Pinpoints of Life, Light, just one or two nuggets out of that, how that's going to help a reader to learn more about how to deal with this. Just let's just bring it around to that because I wanted people to learn more about you and understand your book and get your book. Sure, you bet. So the concept of having pinpoints of light came to me when I was re- when I was writing um, chapter 23. I hadn't titled the book yet, but what I discovered in all of that writing, I was like, hey, there's a point there. There is a point there. That's a point of truth. That's a point of light. And it just fell into my my hands. These pinpoints of light. Back to that that shadow, right? He's always back there, always trying to whisper things and try to pull me down. So as you focus always in the darkness, your eyes will naturally. I don't know if you've ever been to a cave. Of course, yeah. Absolutely dark. Your eyes, you can feel them searching for a pinpoint of light, searching for something, right? Um, I grew up in the mountains. And there on certain mountain peaks are these weather towers and so on and so forth. They are miles and miles away from you. That light is probably only a foot in diameter. But as you are down in the valley and you look towards that light, it's a pinpoint. Yet, it gives you absolute direction. You know exactly that's east. You know exactly where it is. Now, you can't read by that light. It's just like the stars. You can't read by the light of the stars. But with that light, there's absolute hope that it's the night and the morning dawn will come. These points of light bring you that piece of hope. And that's the reason for writing the book is to give anyone who is in abuse absolute hope that you can get out. And the next is open the conversation about abuse, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, financial abuse. One in four women are abused in the United States of America. It's one in three women in the world. 87,000 women are killed every year in the most preventable death, domestic violence. Wow. It is the most preventable death. We have $9.7 billion lost every year to companies because they're either in court, they're recovering from the hospital, They've missed because, hey, childcare wasn't available and they have to then stay home. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Maybe their, you know, partner hid the car key from them. That's actually a statistic. 37% when someone else hides your car keys, hopes that you'll get fired. It's a control thing, right? There's so many things that happen. My bigger, deeper thing with all of this tension of light and having the conversation is, how are we raising our children? The war is really on the children. Mm-hmm. Because if they are raised in homes like this or put into foster care, who teaches them about light and love? Yes. Who does that? Well, it all, co- it all comes around here. And just, you've got some great tools here, April, and just appreciate it a lot. And I love what you just shared there. Absolute hope, you know, absolute hope. And that comes out of, you know, kind of recalibrating our relationships and, to get out of you know abusive relationships and abusive things, we don't need that. You don't need that. And we got to, but we got to have some tools and some strategies to to deal with that. And that the vision of absolute hope, those pins of light, pen points of light. Appreciate you being with us today on the Pathway to Promise. Awesome stuff. Our guest today on Pathway to Promise, the author of Pinpoints of Light: Escaping the Abyss of Abuse, 
April Tribe Juke. What an awesome, awesome, awesome story. I hope you are as inspired by April's story as I am. Just think about this alone. Being the mother, uh, being a single mom of several, uh, five children, then uh, escaping an abusive relationship, working through that process, ended up getting uh, married again for the second time, and being the mother total of nine children, and including some of them were special needs children. That alone is enough to blow your mind. It was mine. But she is an author. She is a writer. She's an advocate. She's a speaker, a ghostwriter, all these things. But she's all about bringing joy into your life. And she certainly brought joy into my life. But I just want to talk about some practical takeaways, just a couple of things here that I want you to remember. Because this is the type of episode that you can use to be a resource to people who have abuse in their life. You either are one of those people or you know somebody who is a victim of abuse. So April is a great resource for you, and we will put her uh, her website into our show notes at pathwaypromise.com for you to check out. But I did want you to check out, remember the three aspects I want you to remember about what she shared, about understanding the difference between a victim, an advocate, and a supporter, and how you can play a role by helping people to move through this process of, of abuse. She has some resources on her website, which can be helpful for you to sort that out and to apply them into your life. Helpful, helpful stuff. April Tribe Juke, author of Pinpoints of Light. We here at the Pathway to Promise are here to be helpful to you as well. At our website, pathwaypromise.com, we'll have all the connections to April's work, but also you'll also find connections to a lot of other folks, a lot of other great authors and leaders and speakers who are all about helping you transform your life. That's what we're here to, 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 to do, to bring you the good people a better life because we all have adversity and we, we have some great leaders and speakers and teachers who tell their own stories of how they overcome some adverse con uh, condition and emerge in a better place. That's what we want you to do here at the Pathway to Promise. We've got a free gift for you there. Sign up for a list and we will be helpful to you. You can also check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Pathway Promise. Here to be helpful to you to overcome adversity, to achieve your God-given promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. Until next time, good people, this is Dr. Brad Miller, and I want to encourage you to keep your promises because there's power in a promise kept. Thanks so much for taking the Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. As a subscriber, you'll be a vital part of the Pathway to Promise community. Visit us on the web at pathwaypromise.com. Until next time, remember to stay on your Pathway to Promise.